Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. You say crazy, I say Gary. You say savage, I say Shannon. Crazy. Gary. Savage. Shannon. Let's run that whole thing back. Who are these people? You say unbelievable, I say Gary Hoffman. You say incredible, I say Shannon Farron. Unbelievable, incredible. Gary and Shannon. Let's run that whole thing back. Let the games begin. This uh, Monday, February 12th, welcome to the show today. Lots, lots coming up. Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. If you remember last week, we tried to hook up with her. Uh, we couldn't because the Dow was down 1,100 points. We're going to talk with her a little bit about what's going on, all of the incredible, um, just the incredible ups and downs that we've seen on Wall Street and the volatility that we've seen over the last several days. The White House finally released its infrastructure plan. About a $1.5 trillion plan to get things looking better throughout the United States, although that's not all federal money. It's um, it's a plan that would cost that much money, but for the federal government, it's more of a seed money plan where they'll throw in a couple hundred billion and encourage uh, states and cities and counties to do the others, uh, to do the rest of it. Also, at the bottom of this hour, you got to stick around because I have even more, even more information about Harvey Weinstein. And it it seems like every time we heard a story about this guy, it got worse and worse. And I'm telling you, this is probably one of the worst I've heard in terms of the things that he would require his employees to do on his behalf so that he could continue doing these. Anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's start with our Winter Olympics. I lived a life of dichotomy yesterday i was at pomona raceway watching top fuel dragsters in the pro stock class i mean i was watching the drag races yesterday right nhra season opener of pomona i pulled up just as Brittany force if you know who that is put her top fuel dragster across the center line and into a wall she's fine so I'm, I'm just all these these alcohol funny cars, the gas powered funny cars that were out there. It was loud and it was just meaty, best way to put it, meaty. And then I go home and I watch figure skating on the Olympics. You're such a stud. I don't get it. What's wrong with me? Figure skating is nope. awesome. Not. Not do you awesome. know what kind of athlete you have yes, to be to do that? Have I you- do, as a matter of fact. My my daughter did it for a long, I shouldn't say a long time, but my daughter dabbled in the figure skating for a while, and it was exhausting to watch this. And the, the training regimen that these people go through and the cost of getting into figure skating. But and, and I'll be honest with you, I think I like Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir as the, uh, as the people who are telling me what's going on, except, except... They won't shut up during the routine. If I'm there to watch it, then let me watch the two-minute routine with the music and everything. Pipe it in so that I get a clean feed of it. I'm not listening to it from the PA, from the uh, arena. 
and then tell me what happened. And then go back and replay the jumps that didn't ma- whatever. Just be quiet while they're doing it. Let me let me enjoy it. And if I think they did wrong or I think that's that triple sal cow wasn't what it should have been, then then I'll you know, I'll sit in that. Don't you love how they get like Oh, and boy, he really blew that. And they get so condescending oh, yeah. when they talk about it. I mean, it's because they're masters at their craft. What I want to know, good, but. who is the genius at NBC who threw Terry Gannon into that mix? Terry Gannon, who's well known for, I don't know, is now <laughs> the, the third guy in that Tara Lipinski, Johnny Weir mix. He's the formatics guy. He moves the conversation along. He, all right, let's get back to competition now. You know, he's he's just kind of the placeholder and keeps everybody in time and he sets them up and he just lets them go it's the weirdest thing to me because he's i mean he may be the nicest guy in the world but when you compare him to tara lipinski and johnny weir the guy's a big nothing burger they should have gave him a bedazzled headset oh that would have been awesome (laughs) just to fit in that's the other part about it why i mean he seems so straight laced and and nothing compared to i think blake was telling me that they're comparing these two to the Hunger Games, you know, the commentators for the Hunger Games, which makes perfect sense, right? Johnny Weir is incredibly flamboyant. I don't know how he does his hair like that, but all that stuff to be said. Um, <laughs> the, the United States did win. I don't know if this is a spoiler alert. It's not, I don't think. The, they, the United States won, uh, States won bronze in the team event for figure skating. Uh, we won silver in luge. Chris Madger was doing 83 miles an hour with his uh, bottom about an inch and a half off that ice. And then we won golds in men's and women's slope styles. Uh, snowboarding. There, there is a question, by the way, about whether or not the Winter Olympics is too wintry. We've seen these headlines that the wind and ice and cold are making the Olympics too cold. They're the Winter Olympics. And I understand the wind issue. They were saying that... Um, Slope style, for example, the vast majority of the people in the slope style competition ended up on their butts, and then they blamed it on the wind. I guess, I mean, if you're in the half pipe and you come out and you get smacked by a, a gust of wind, it's going to blow off your uh, your balance. So they when you go back gave, down, they almost gave another uh, person, or they were reviewing it on whether to give a person another run because of that. Because of the wind. Yeah, because she was setting up for a big jump, and you could just see that massive blast of gust uh, of wind and snow come at her well the uh the winner jamie anderson on the women's side said listen we uh and i love her answer i hate the way she starts it i feel like honestly because that seems like every 15 year old girl ever even she's not 15 but still i feel like honestly um such as i feel like honestly but she goes on to say listen we are we are cold weather sports people this is an event that takes place in frozen water. So the weather really shouldn't be that big of an issue. I feel like, honestly, every event I've been at this year, there's been a lot of drama about weather and snow and flat light and the safety of everything, which definitely is an important role. But I think when we all signed up for snowboarding, it wasn't always bluebird, perfect sunny days like we get in California. I love that answer. I loved it. Listen, it's going to it's gonna suck sometimes, but we're all doing it at the same time. It's not like she's competing in California while everyone else is, is competing in the Swiss Alps or something like that. The bigger, the bigger issue is all the scheduling, that, you know, things that they have to keep canceling or moving, right. postponing. A lot, of the, a lot of the downhill and alpine ski events they've had to cancel today or reschedule, and they have a, they have a finite window. 
they can't just extend the Olympics for a couple of days. That's not – you cannot do that. For one thing, it, it bumps up against the Paralympics, which start almost immediately after the Olympics. And you've got TV contracts you have to worry about. There is a question, though. Why were they so quick to cancel the men's downhill and the women's giant slalom but did not cancel the men's and women's slope-style competitions? They're, granted, they are in different parts of the mountain, but – what considerations, if any, were given to NBC? Because NBC paid, uh, I don't know, $47 billion or whatever it was to televise the events, and they would be in prime time here in the United States. The guy who is a director for the International Skiing Federation says that it's simply a safety issue. It has nothing to do with TV. And the winds on the Alpine Mountains where the skiing events were going to be held were much stronger than those then were on the half-pipe slope-style course. Well, and and when they canceled the men's downhill um, over the weekend, they were also saying that the winds were so bad they couldn't even get up to the top like because yeah. they ride the gondolas up. And they said right. that and the gondola many- becomes – and then it just becomes simply a safety issue, not necessarily coming down the mountain, but getting up there in the first place. Here's the other part about it, and I've heard this about Olympics before. I love it. You're, I think it would be a great idea if NBC would throw on there, even for like uh, long-track speed skating, Throw up there a graphic of a normal guy doing it. So I just to give you a just to give you a sense of scale about how fast these people are going. That's a good idea. They did do one with the luge where it was kind of a little camera set up between the guy's legs so mm-hmm. you can see where they're going. That was pretty good stuff. And you could tell he was a kind of an amateur person because right. he kept slowing himself down. It's the, the guy time. who runs the course, probably, not right. the Olympic athlete. I saw and, another one that was a, it was a joke based on that, where it's like when you're watching the Olympics and you see something, you go, wow, that was amazing. And then the commentator goes, oh, another disastrous mistake. <laughs> and it's for the and same you, purpose because yeah, you have no you have reference. No context. Uh, the, the biathlon the other night was the same way. I mean, these people are skiing around. They're just gassed for breath, and they're able to stop breathing, basically. Imagine getting out, running 500 yards, full sprint, coming back, and then stopping your breath for a couple of seconds just so you can squeeze the trigger and hit a little thing that's about the size of a a silver dollar at 50 paces. Just unbelievable. So there is a bunch more going on today. Um, But, again, congratulations. I think we have seven medals now. No, the United States has four medals now. Norway leads the medal count with nine. When we come back, I talk about Michael Fassbender, one of these uh, guys in Hollywood who had been lauded as a stand-up guy. He is now being caught up in allegations of, of sexual abuse. We'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon's out today. She'll be back. Don't worry. Feels good to be running from the devil. Another breath and I'm up another level. It feels good to be up above the clouds. Gary and Shannon. You can follow us on Twitter at Gary and Shannon. You can like us on Facebook, a little Instagram as well. The uh, bottom of the hour, I'm going to tell you about what's in that New York State Attorney General lawsuit against the Weinstein Company. There's some new things about this guy that will just, you know, uh, he earns his name Mayonnaise Face. Michael Fassbender is uh, is also in the news. Michael Fassbender, the actor, uh, just recently got married to Alicia Vikander in uh, Portugal, I think. And uh, he was not at the Golden Globe ceremony last month. And a lot of people thought 
that was uh, worthwhile. That was a uh, a notable absence. Uh, his wife was there. Lisa Vikander was there. She wore black. And he, for a long time, has been held up as one of the good guys, German-Irish actor who, uh, according to a Hollywood Reporter article a few years ago, said these projects are pouring in from top-flight directors, says that he has a real introduction to fame, one of the most gifted actors today. In 2016, The Guardian did a profile on Michael Fassbender and said that it's been characterized entirely by personal and professional success. That at the time he was in uh, a few new films, three new films between now and January. That was a, uh, which one of which he's also produced. All of this with barely a misstep, nor gossip column indiscretion. It is about a flawless a movie star career as would be possible to perfect. Again, that was from a Guardian profile of Michael Fassbender from two years ago. Although. It doesn't take much to find allegations against this guy. And it comes from a longtime girlfriend of his. Sunawin Andrews went by the name Lisi. She was then a 36-year-old aspiring model and actress. Well, a judge granted a temporary restraining order against Fassbender in L.A. County eight years ago. It was 2010. And this restraining order required him to stay at least 100 yards away from her and her son and, uh, or sorry, yeah, her son and daughter, 18-year-old daughter, 3-year-old son. She also asked for attorney's fees to pay $24,000 in medical bills. Wait a minute. She also wanted him to enroll in a 52-week batterer intervention program. She describes a couple of incidents that led her to ask for this restraining order. It should be noted, he was out of town at the time. I mean, literally, he was out of the country at the time that she went to court to get a restraining order against him. In one of the episodes, she says that she and Michael Fassbender and a couple of friends went to a restaurant, and he got mad because one of her ex-boyfriends approaches the table to say hello. Michael was drinking and became angry. This is what she wrote in the restraining order. And said that it was time to leave. Well, her worried friends, she said, followed them home. That Michael was driving my car dangerously fast and screaming at me. I begged him to stop in fear of an accident or for my children who were home asleep. As we got closer to my house, I put my car in stop, she says. Got out, walked around the car to pull the key from ignition, and he drove off again, dragging me along the car. Claims that he stopped after he realized that I could not walk and get out of the car, picked me up, put me in the car, As the friends, again, these two friends that were at dinner with them and saw the whole fight start, drove up behind them. In fact, she says they stayed the night to help calm things. She woke up the next day in a deep sweat. I went to the hospital, had a twisted left ankle, blown out left kneecap, bursted ovarian cyst, and she said a lot of internal bleeding. She actually had the dates mixed up, which was weird because she wrote, November 18th, they went to dinner. November 29th, she woke up in pain. Didn't make sense. But that was the first thing. The other one was from a film festival in 2009. And she doesn't say exactly which one, although the really the only one that he went to and uh, made any news at was the uh, Global Film and Music Fest in Italy at the time. And in 2009, uh, 2009 she says, they go out at night, partying until the wee hours of the morning. She goes to bed. 
Michael Fassbender shows back up with a buddy, and they both try to climb in bed with this woman. She gets mad. She goes and checks into a different room so she can sleep. She goes back in the morning to wake him up because he's supposed to give, uh, he's supposed to speak on a panel. And she says that he was sleeping in urine. I woke him up and began, and he began to be violent and threw me over a chair, breaking my nose. Um, this is, these are the allegations that are in this restraining order, which was issued, by the way. The judge did grant a temporary restraining order and asked him to move out of their home in Bel Air, which was leased, I guess, in her name. The court made the ruling based on her claim that he was out of the country and therefore not living there at the time. So he had several weeks go by before he realized that he had this restraining order against him. And there have been some questions about the validity of this woman, her uh, her accuracy and her statements. But you can't just say that it's a, a blemishless career if, in fact, he had a restraining order placed against him eight years ago. But at that, listen, those allegations against him pale in comparison to what the New York Attorney General says Harvey Weinstein orchestrated for decades as head of the Weinstein Company and Miramax. I'll tell you about that. This new lawsuit just filed last night, what it says about him when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, following some breaking news out of uh, D.C., Fox is reporting that Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, has been taken to the hospital after she opened an envelope containing white powder. Uh, That's about it. But again, it's uh, Donald Trump Jr.'s wife who has been taken to the hospital after opening an envelope that contained white powder. Oscar asked, when's the last time... There was actually something in an envelope that contained white powder, and I want to say 17 years ago. Uh, but <clears throat> still, I would imagine that that causes a little bit of, uh, of puckering, so we'll keep an eye on that, see if there's anything that comes out of it. Also, the White House did release their infrastructure plan. It's at $1.5 trillion. A little bit later, we're going to get into some of the details about where that money is going to go. And a lot of it is actually just seed money on behalf of the federal government, dumping a couple hundred billion dollars here and there into these uh, into these projects, but encouraging states and other localities to come through with the uh, other half of the money. So this lawsuit against Harvey Weinstein adds some details to this story that uh, make this guy more of an apple. Can you believe this? Attorney General Eric Schneiderman of New York electronically filed this lawsuit last night against Weinstein and the company accusing him of repeatedly and persistently sexually harassing female employees at the film company. Among other things, we've known this for a long time, that he would use, let me try to find the right word for it, he would use gender-based obscenities in and around the office all the time, especially when he was mad. He would drop a C word or a P word when he was referring to these women instead of using their names. In addition to the sexual harassment and the bullying and the allegations of sexual assault, he was threatening the lives of his employees, saying things like, I will kill your family and you don't know what I can do. 
He would brag about his connection to political figures. And get this, haven't heard this one before. He would tell people he had contacts within the Secret Service that could take care of his problems. The court documents say that the management of the Weinstein Company, the board of the company, were repeatedly presented with credible evidence of his sexual harassment and his use of corporate employees and resources to facilitate sexual activity with third parties. By the way, get to that in a second. The company was supposed to be sold. The deal to sell off the Weinstein Company was supposed to be done. Last night was going to be the last time that they could actually uh, that they could come up with a deal. And we're not quite sure if this is going to change any of that. But the Maria Contreras Suite Group, it's a group of investors led by her, is was supposed to wrap up yesterday. This was filed, and they're not saying that it was an, an attempt necessarily to block the sale, but definitely does put things on hold. Maria Contreras Sweet made a $500 million bid to buy the Weinstein Company and put in a female majority uh, board. And according to sources, Schneiderman and his team have some concerns about the proposed sale, but this isn't necessarily one that's going to stop it. Just filing the lawsuit doesn't kill it, but it could throw a wrench into the works for sure. Now, to back to this story about repeatedly presented with credible evidence the board was repeatedly shown that Weinstein was a total apple and was victimizing women both that worked for him and wanted to work for him according to a formal complaint he berated a female employee in 2012 threatening to cut her loins I don't think I've ever heard that before The woman said that that traumatized her and made her feel forced out of her own job, caused her severe stress. Her complaint was allegedly resolved through a deal that involved a non-disclosure agreement. Not surprising. In addition to the threats, listen to this. This is the part that blew me away. There were three sets of employees required to help Harvey Weinstein make sexual conquests. I'm going to go through just a quick, just a quick wrap-up of what these three groups had to do for Harvey Weinstein. One of them was a group of female employees whose job it was to go with him to events and facilitate his sexual conquests. These women were kept on the payroll throughout the country, throughout the world, London, New York, L.A. Witnesses said that this team was called Weinstein's wing women. There was another team predominantly female group of employees responsible for such demeaning work as facilitating Weinstein's sexual activity by meeting with prospective sexual conquests, following up on the employment opportunities that he was promising them afterwards. And then a third group, women who were compelled to take various steps to further his regular sexual activity, including by contacting FOH, Friends of Harvey and other prospective sexual partners, they would text him. They would call them at his direction. They would maintain space on his calendar for sexual activity. Wait. Here's the clincher. Members of this group at various times allegedly had to handle Weinstein's erectile dysfunction shots. And even administer the injections. 
Nobody think that's nobody looks at that and goes, wait a minute, this should not be happening. Still others on this last team had to prepare rooms in his office for sexual activity. I don't know what that means. Laying down a tarp, lighting a candle. This queen. And they also had to clean it up after it was over. Again, all of this in this lawsuit that the New York State Attorney General filed last night against the Weinstein Company saying it failed to protect women. One of the things that the new group, I said, the new group was going to come in and buy the company. The company is anticipating a deal that would have brought in $275 million, as well as the assumption of $225 million in debt. And all part of that is a $50 million bank account to pay out all of the unresolved allegations of sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Oh, um... It's worth pointing out that Ben Braffman, America's dirtiest lawyer, released a statement last night saying many of the allegations against him are without merit. Not all, just many. Many of them are without merit. And that his behavior was not without fault. There certainly was no criminality. And at the end of the inquiry, it will be clear that Harvey Weinstein promoted more women to key executive positions than any other industry leader, and there was zero discrimination at either Miramax or the Weinstein Company. That guy gets to go to bed at night and think what a great day he had. That makes me sick. All right, there was a uh, a pastor who was on the run for a couple of days. They were looking for him because he was accused of sexually assaulting a girl at a motel in Covina. We'll explain his story, and uh, you get to hear his pitch his own, I guess, apology video, if you want to call it that. That's all coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Following a uh, story out of New York City, Amy mentioned this in her news. Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, was hospitalized today. She apparently opened a letter that was addressed to Donald Trump Jr. at their Manhattan apartment. It's not clear what the uh, white powder was that came out of it. She was taken to the hospital as a precaution. A couple other people were also taken to the hospital, according to a TV station in New York. But we know they have five kids. We don't know if they were home at the time of the incident. But the NYPD, Secret Service, are both investigating this. They've been married for, uh, for 12 years now, Donald Trump Jr. and Vanessa, but... At this point, there's no, uh, there's nothing to be concerned about, I guess, in terms of there being some sort of a larger plot. But Donald Trump Jr.'s wife went to the hospital today after she opened an envelope that contained white powder. We'll wait for an update on that. Well, in this uh, context of, uh, oh, just got a New York police update that said that the white powder in the letter opened by the wife determined to be non-hazardous. So that is good news. Uh, in the context of these sexual assault stories we were talking about, the allegations of violence against Michael Fassbender uh, from several years ago and Harvey Weinstein just being an apple, there was a, there was a local story that got weird. There was a, a pastor, and I'm going to use that term very carefully because uh, for all intents and purposes, very few people consider this guy a, a pastor. But a pastor in Glendale turned himself in yesterday after 
he was identified by several people as a guy shown on a surveillance camera breaking into the room, a, a motel room occupied by two girls between the ages of 10 and 13. And he assaulted one of the girls and then ran away. This happened on Wednesday night at Van Lee Hotel and Suites on East Garvey in Covina. Uh, he showed up, like I said, yesterday at the Covina Police Department with his attorney to surrender, booked on suspicion of child molestation, indecent exposure, and burglary. Police said that this guy showed up at the motel at about 8 o'clock Wednesday night, parked his pickup truck facing the open window of a motel room where those two girls were found. They were visiting the United States on a trip from Hangzhou, China. And he starts playing with himself and was staring at the girls for more than 30 minutes before he knocked on the door, forcing his way inside, sexually assaulting one of them. They released images from motel surveillance cameras on Friday, a couple days after it happened, and immediately people start calling and saying, wait a minute, I know who that guy is. That guy is the pastor of a thing called God's Gypsy Christian Church. I've heard of a lot of church names. I don't think I've ever heard the word gypsy involved in a Christian church name. It's the rock or the trinity or the the home or the hope or the house of God. Never gypsy. He, by the way, rents space at a different church for his congregation, God's Gypsy Christian Church. And a bunch of people who live around the church where he rents the space from say, uh, that's not a normal church. These people appear drunk, wild, and confrontational. And that many of them, many of these people, are afraid of this guy. They're afraid of Douglas Rivera and didn't want to show their face on camera. He posted a video to tell everyone the worst defense I think I've ever heard. It, not even that it wasn't him, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, Los Angeles, please, I need your attention. You deserve to know what's going on. Both confuse me, Jalpe. Listen, I did not do nothing wrong. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, that is not a strong defense. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time? Something happened in that hotel. Right, we know that. And that's the simple answer. I'm just finished with my lawyer. I am going to jail on Wednesday with the lawyer to submit myself so they could continue their investigation. Well, they ended up on Wednesday, there or is Sunday, actually. absolutely no truth to that. No matter what you see on the Instagram or the TV, there is no truth to it. I love you, Los Angeles. And please keep me in prayer. God will take his truth out. What? I love you. Uh... God will take his truth out? I don't know what that means. But again, not a defense. He just says he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and that something happened in that hotel room. If he just finished with his lawyer, his lawyer would have told him, don't say a damn thing and whatever you do, please, please don't post a video on, on YouTube or on Snapchat or on Twitter or on Instagram. Stay away from the Internet, dummy. I wonder if video will surface of him, you know, doing anything with his congregation because there was like neighbors or something that would say that people in the congregation would often be drunk right. and unruly and wild confrontational right 
So yes, I think uh, so. We'll see some very soon. Right. And again, God's Gypsy Christian Church. <laughs> That's a new name. That's not one I've heard before. All right, coming back. Uh, talk about a bromance way up on the hill. Runyon Canyon has never seen two men in love like they saw yesterday. Eric Garcetti and the Prime Minister of Canada. I think they just started a relationship. Cartoon Hearts. That's next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. It's uh, Monday. It's February 12th. When we get into Swamp Watch, we're going to talk about the latest with Memo Gate. Looks like the president has said that he wasn't going to release the Democratic memo until they fix it and blame Democrats for putting in some uh, in some sensitive national security issues in the memo so that he would look bad when he said no, but said he would still still release it if they take that information out. So we'll talk about that. Also, the infrastructure plan that he talked about today, more Winter Olympic stuff coming up. The United States now has four medals, including both men's and women's snowboard slope style. I just love saying slope style. It makes perfect sense. Dean Sharp's going to join us later this hour and talk about can we move it? Yes, we can. Bob the Builder. I'm sorry. Dean Sharp is going to join us. All right. Did you see that ad for Grinder? The one on uh, the one on Instagram? The one with Eric Garcetti and Justin Trudeau and uh, Griffith Park? Oh, I, I thought it was an ad for Grinder. Never mind. I guess it's not. Um, Eric Garcetti decked out in full U.S. Olympic gear, and a guy who looked like Prince Eric from Little Mermaid hiked up to the top of uh, Griffith Park Saturday morning. Wearing shorts and T-shirts, they met with reporters at Griffith Observatory. The The mayor says, listen, uh, Canada is a huge trading partner for the city of Los Angeles. We have more Canadians here than anywhere else in the country. We do? Anyway, he says, Mr. Prime Minister, it's such an honor to receive you here in Los Angeles. We brought a little Canadian weather to make you feel right at home because I guess it was overcast on Saturday morning. Well, believe me, that's not Canadian weather, which I think is what Justin Trudeau said. They um, they spent a lot of time hugging and man-grabbing each other and just making everybody uncomfortable. It was odd. It was very odd. But it's clear this is one of the things that Eric Garcetti has to do before he officially announces that he's going to be running for president in a couple of years. It kept pop- popping up on my Instagram so much. How many, uh, how many, how many other pictures of two men standing atop Griffith Park do you uh, do you get in your Instagram feed on a regular basis? Not many, not like that, where they're clearly on a date like that. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty funny to watch. <laughs> clearly, I got excited date. only because I was like. Ah. We got to talk about this on the show on Monday. This is, it's too good to pass up. And I love that Justin Trudeau just downplayed it. He's just wearing shorts and a shirt. Like, right. He's just a guy out there that 98% of the people who saw him walking on the trail, if they didn't recognize Eric Garcetti, they were not going to recognize Justin Trudeau. No, he looks like a pretty normal guy. Just a normal young guy. And right. Sure, he looks like Eric from uh, from Little Mermaid. But, but other than that, no one's going to go, oh, my God, that's the Prime Minister of Canada. Right. And he's hiking here. They did take a couple of pictures with some of the other people who were hiking up there and uh, posted them all onto uh, onto their 
uh, Instagram accounts, their social media accounts. Uh, but it's just one of the uh, one of the first steps, I guess you could say, for Eric Garcetti to meet with and uh, discuss politics with leaders of other countries. I mean, the city of Los Angeles, being the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, is a very powerful international position. And uh, it looks like he's going to uh, – it looks to me like he's just laying the groundwork and the foundation for a run for the president. Some of the mayors, uh, the other mayors that we've seen, the mayor of San Francisco, former and the former mayor of the city of Los Angeles, are continuing their push for governor, Antonio Villaraigosa and Gavin Newsom. And it looks like Antonio Villaraigosa got a law enforcement organization to back him. Surprising, but the Peace Officers Research Association of California back in January endorsed him. And now the California Police Chiefs Association endorsed Viragosa. They uh, they pointed to his time as mayor when he hired hundreds of police officers. Violent crime went down in the city of L.A. And he's made his record against crime one of the pillars of his campaign for governor. But And as we saw last week, we saw that the polls between Gavin Newsom and Antonio Viragosa are closing Gavin Newsom has been slipping by a couple of percentage points, and uh, Antonio Villaraigosa has been picking up some of those voters. One of the questions, though, the L.A. Times had, and I thought this was a brilliant question, is how is the Me Too movement going to shape the race for governor? Because these guys do not have spotless records. Uh, In fact, there's another guy, uh, Travis Allen, who is an assemblyman from Huntington Beach. His name came up just over a week ago when... His name was released as part of a group of lawmakers accused of sexual harassment. Now, his allegations, again, the allegation against Travis Allen was something like he was unnecessarily close to a woman. That I'm, That's one of those where was it an intentional move on his part to get close to someone or she just felt uncomfortable? He says they were totally unfounded. The sexual, what shall we call it, um misbehavior on the behalf of Gavin Newsom and Antonio Viragosa rises far above that. Both of them have admitted to extramarital affairs. Those were a decade ago, but they both admitted them. Now the question is, if they are that close in the polls, does that become sort of the nuclear football that each one has against the other? And if they play it, they know it's mutually assured destruction. Gavin Newsom can't come out and say, uh, yeah, Villaraigosa cheated on his wife. Because all Villaraigosa has to say is, hey, it takes one to know one. The question is, will women caught up in the Me Too movement, using it now to uh, spread their wings and exercise their political power, will they back get behind one of these guys, knowing that they have used women in this way? Hmm. I don't know who wins that race to the bottom. Uh, when we come back, uh, sorry that uh, Shannon couldn't hear this, but uh, there is a new baby bald eagle that hatched. I thought of her yesterday when I was doing the news story about it. Well, the thing is, she didn't think about us. Oh. Yeah, she's on a beach somewhere. Uh, also, speaking of animals, do you know what a nutria is? Yeah, it's a big old rat. Can you imagine how good those taste? 
<laughs> no. Somebody needs to start coming up with some Nutria recipes because they're invading parts of California. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. If I would have just laid my drink down and walked down, well, I wouldn't be in my truck. Gary and Shannon. It's Monday. It's February 12th. Dean Sharp's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about some, uh, some new remodeling stuff to get into. Also, uh, next hour, there is a very strange record that is being set. It, the record's been broken. We don't know how long this record is going to last, but there is a drug suspect in England. Uh, he, gosh, how do I say this? He... Put drugs in a in a hiding place, and for twenty six days has refused to let anything anything pass through that hiding place. And um, the hashtag Poo Watch is trending because this guy broke the British record for I guess keistering drugs and not allowing anything to pass. You know what I'm saying. Well, we uh, have it up. If you go to KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. We also tweeted out a link to the latest bald eagle baby, this one in Big Bear. And there is a uh, – I was watching the video of it just a second ago. It looks like mom is hanging out on this nest. By the way, it's a, just a warning. If you do go check out the bald eagle cam that we have up, there are some carcasses of – lesser birds shall we say in the nest that have become a source of food for the babies yeah i saw the the mom uh, feeding part of a mouse yesterday or it looked like a mouse there's and what's funny not funny wrong word what's natural about all of this is that there are fish stuck in the nest as well and every once in a while one of the eagles the mama or the data will then come and take a couple nibbles off of a few day old fish and then just go about their day. What do they? How world. often do they clean it out? Because the nest has been—I've been watching. Mm-hmm. The nest has been pretty clean. They do. I guess they regularly tidy up the nest. I didn't think that was a thing, but they regularly tidy up their nests. I think it's really interesting too that you watch this eagle cam, and it looks like it's just you know a small bird. But you got to remember, these guys have a wingspan of like six or seven feet. Yeah, that it's—they're huge. It's deceptively large. Um, and you don't really get a good view of it. And it almost looks as if someone's holding the camera because it's moving a little bit. It's, it's up it's in the tree. Windy. And it's super windy up there. So it's cold. The baby eagles can't regulate their body temperature. I learned that from listening to Blake. And that's why the, for the first few weeks of a baby eaglet's life, the, uh, the parent eagles will then lay on them. Um, they're saying that the... Forest Service officials have closed off the area around the nest to to the public through through the the end of June. She's looking at, yeah, she's walking around, but there's still one, by the way, there's one egg that has not hatched yet. That's because it was laid three days after the first one. So we're looking at uh, a a double baby eaglet thing happening here. She's just shifting around. There is one that's a lot, one that's out of the egg, I guess is the one way to put it. And then the other one. Uh, still in the egg, but uh, this has got to be a huge win for the what is it? The friends of the friends of Big Bear Valley—they're the ones who put up the camera 
And, uh, again, we have the link up on the website, and uh, we tweeted out the link as well so you can check it out. But that's very, very cool. It's one of those things that you don't you don't get to see. And they were saying 2,000 people watched the original egg, uh, the, the first baby, come out yesterday morning. And then uh, maybe in the next couple of days there will be another one. Just, you know what I, Do you know what Nutria is? What about the RUSs? Rodents of unusual size? <laughs> I don't think they exist. They absolutely exist. These rodents of unusual size, in this case, are about a 20-pound rodent, semi-aquatic rodent. A lot of people mistake them for muskrats or groundhogs or beavers. They look a lot like beavers, but they're smaller and they don't have the beaver tail. But if you from a, we had a lot of them up in Oregon, so they do look similar. Well, this they say you can tell because they have the white, uh, the white whiskers around their mouth, and they have webbed feet except for one free toe, which already sounds like a monster. But nutria eat. What is it? 20 pounds, they can eat 25% of their body weight each day in vegetation. And they dig. And those diggings, uh, the holes that they dig, they burrow in dikes and levees and roadbeds so they can weaken infrastructure and cause problems. California Fish and Wildlife has issued a warning about the influx of nutria that have been caught reproducing in the San Joaquin Valley. They thought, they thought 40 years ago that they'd gotten rid of all of these in California. And now they're saying it looks like there was at least one pocket, one small colony that stayed under the radar until they recently reemerged. These things are rat. They look like giant rats. They breed like giant rabbits. Early and often. Females can reproduce beginning at six months old. They breed year-round. They can produce three litters in 13 months. Within a year, one female nutria can have more than 200 offspring and those 200 offspring can travel about 50 miles in their lifetime so it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that there could be a severe infestation native to south america they were introduced to california back in 1899 why not because we needed uh, rats as pets because they're mink-like fur I don't know anybody who has a Nutria coat anymore. I think Grandma had one, but <laughs> we got rid of it when we realized it was a giant rat. All right. Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, when we come back. Can we move it? You're in the process of remodeling your stuff. Can you move that wall or that appliance or that line? We'll see when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Today, she'll be back a little bit later this week. Some of the stories that we are keeping an eye on. The president's daughter-in-law, Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, was taken to the hospital today in Manhattan. She apparently opened an envelope that was addressed to Donald Trump Jr. and some sort of a white powder came out. New York Police Department says it was not hazardous, just uh, supposed to be a threat of some kind. Uh, but they did take her to a hospital as a precaution and two other people. We're not sure if those two people were their kids. We, they have five kids together. We don't know if the kids were at home or if they were at school or what was going on. But uh, it doesn't look like anybody's hurt. Also, the uh, New York Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against the Weinstein Company. We may revisit that a little bit later because just fascinating. Some of the new stuff, fascinatingly disgusting, some of the new stuff that Weinstein is accused of doing including the teams of people that worked for him that facilitated his abuses of women. Uh, and then the Winter Olympics, uh, too wintry, apparently. 
That's uh, one of the complaints. It's too what wintry. I heard them complaining about luge, the luge track early. I want to say Friday. I was got home and started watching luge about how hard the ice was, and I thought, wait a minute. Isn't that the Isn't point? Isn't it supposed to be icy? I mean, I would I would think you would want it as as hard as you could get it. I was watching Fast Track on Saturday. I don't know if it was live or if I just pre-recorded it, but you know the Fast Track speed skating, the short track, the short track. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. Short track. And uh, there was one of the heat, one of the qualifying heats. Like four skaters, just no one touched anybody. Four skaters, male skaters, just just all lost it on yeah. a wet patch. <laughs> so I thought the whole point was. As well, icy as possible. Right. And, and the the concern on the mountains, for example, when they're doing the skiing stuff, is you is not just the I'm going downhill at 60 miles an hour and a gust of wind could blow me off balance and make me tumble. It's getting up the mountain. I mean, the getting into the gondola, a 60, 70 mile an hour wind gust is dangerous. So you get a medal for that? You, you probably should. <laughs> Uh, but they did the slope style. They did snowboarding, et cetera. But I, I just, it seems, the thing is, they're all at the absolute pinnacle of their sports. So it's not as if someone's running in 60-mile-an-hour winds and someone isn't. They're all battling the same conditions. So even if they did decide to go forward with it, it's not like it's unfair. Unless your run just happens to be that five minutes where with no <laughs> where gusts. Is gusting. Where, where there are no gusts. <laughs> right. And you get gold, and you know it was because there was no wind. Meanwhile, there's just body parts strewn about <laughs> the Alpine Super G or whatever it is. All right. Uh, Dean Sharp, host of uh, Home on Sundays here on KFI. How are you? I'm great. Let's talk about moving stuff. How are we going to do this? All right. Oh, in your hot little hands. There are recurring questions mm-hmm. that are common to remodeling. Get asked all the time the same questions over and over. None more than this one question. Can we move it? Yes, we can. (laughs) Can we move it? It, People ask, it applies to everything from walls to windows and doors, bathrooms, appliances, you name it. Whatever is standing in the way of your remodeling dreams, the big question is, hey, can we move that thing? And I thought, you know, I've been asked that question so often. Why don't we just build a whole show around it? So this Sunday's show is entitled, Can, can We move, move It? Excellent. So we're going to dig deep into, as deep as we can, into uh, various categories. But for you, my friend, yes, since you're here all alone mm-hmm. and obviously not having enough fun, right? it's time to play Uh-oh. Can <laughs> You Move It? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, yes. today's contestant, Gary Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Gary writes songs for Disney Animation. I do not. He is, is not an Olympic true. interpretive ice dancer and also. father of 2.5 children hailing from Petaluma, California. Most of that is not true, but I will play along. Gary, are you ready? I am, Dean. It's good to see you. Good to all be with you. All right, here we go. Your house sits on a concrete slab. Right. You want to remodel your kitchen, and you plan to enlarge the kitchen window. The current sink is centered on the existing window, but centering under the new window means that you've got to move the sink over over, over two feet to the left without tearing up the concrete or the wall. Uh-huh. Can you move it? Yes, you can. You Am are right? correct, sir. Yeah! Yes! <laughs> What do I win? Well done. Are you going to move my sink for me? 
Now, do you know why you can move it? Uh, because the plumbing that okay, you... Okay, we can ease off the music until I ask the next question. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I would just imagine that the plumbing would be easy to do. It doesn't have to be a straight shot from your drain down to the... It does not have to be a straight shot, but there are limits. So the key to this question was uh, we're moving it over about 24 inches to the left. So mm-hmm. there is a thing called a, a dirty arm. Uh, it is a drain configuration, and it's, it's basically an allowance in the code where uh, wherever the drain is actually diving down into the foundation, into the slab, where that drain exits the wall, uh, and most people, you know, because they've designed the house for the sink to be right above that location, don't think that they can move their sink very far. But if that drain is an inch and a half in diameter, then the sink itself can move up to three feet in either direction from that point of emanation. If it's a two-inch line, it can move, I believe current code is up to six feet in either direction. So just in terms of me trying to visualize what that dirty arm would be, it's the part that you would see probably coming from your wall. Coming right out of the wall. That's the part. And then, well, that's the drain. Then you would put like a 90 on that right? so that you don't have to drill through the wall uh, and you don't have to tear up the drain and the concrete to actually move the physical drain location. You could put a 90 there and you can travel horizontally up to three feet or with, six feet in either direction. Now, no what you would have to do, it at all? Uh, well, it's always good to put a slope in. Right. It's always good to put a slope. Uh, but technically, you can go horizontal up to uh, three to six feet, depending on the size of the drain. And... Uh, the only allowance then is that you would make an allowance in the back of those cabinets that it's running behind because the drain would literally be running on the outside of the wall uh, and in the back of the cabinets, which, which is way less expensive than tearing up the concrete. Right, and you would never see that because if from the f- if you, even if you open your cabinets, you're not going to notice that it's an inch and a half shallower than it would be if it were to go all the way to the wall, and you're going to have exactly. a, cap- or a countertop on top of it so you wouldn't see that exactly. void. Hidden away. Excellent. Very good. All right, next question. Yes. The wall between two rooms okay. is 12 feet long. It is not a shear wall. It's not a seismic shear wall. Okay. But it is a load-bearing wall. Yes. There's a door in the wall. Oh. And you want to move the door from the middle of the wall, where it is now, closer to one of the ends of the wall. Same size door, just in a different place on the same wall. Can you move it? Uh, the answer, the answer, Dean, is I wouldn't want to, but I would say you probably could move that. Yes. And you are correct. Yeah! <laughs> I would say, honey, I think the door is fine where it is. <laughs> yeah, but maybe you're configuring something on the other side of the wall, and uh, and you need to move the door. Like I'm moving the sink on the other yeah. side of the wall. <laughs> so the key is here. Now, the, the key here was that it's not a sheer wall. All right, a shear wall is one of those walls that has plywood uh, nailed to one side uh, in order to give it lateral resistance force. And uh, shear walls have to happen in certain locations that engineers have predetermined because they're normally tied into what we call hold downs, which are specific brackets holding it to the foundation in specific places. You can move shear walls around, but you can't completely eliminate a shear wall because it has a rate, it's there doing a, a particular job. It's not a shear wall in this case, but it is a bearing wall, which means it's holding weight from either the roof or the second floor. But here was the key. It's a bearing wall. 
the bearing wall had already been calculated to have that size door opening in it. And in that situation, it really doesn't matter where the door is. As long as you're not widening the it's door. It's all in the calculation. It's all in the calculation. So whether there's a two and a half foot gap in the wall here as opposed to there, the point is as long as you're using the same header size for the door, you're right. just moving it over, you're good to go. We're talking with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, and we're talking about remodeling, playing the game show, can you move it? And so far the answer is yes, you can. Yes, you can. All right. We'll have some more of these when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Sharp, the house whisperer, host of Home. You hear him Sundays right here on KFI, playing the new game show. This is hot. This is hot. Uh, We're turning it into a board game also. A friend at uh, Game Show Network contacted me during the break and asked if you have the rights to this, because he would love to get in, in on this. Can We're going to turn it into an RPG game, too, <laughs> where young kids all over the world have an opportunity to remodel. Uh, can you move it? Uh, we're talking about different things. If you are planning to, uh, one of the most common questions in remodeling is, can you move? Can you move the window? Can you move the wall? Which is the right question to ask. It is absolutely the right question to ask. And and I wish it was the absolute most common question that I get asked every single time I run into a design scenario because the whole idea of design mattering most is to approach the space with a fresh perspective and and think outside of the box. And so people who just automatically presume that you can't move a thing right. uh, are already compromising their potential design process. Well, I have been – I'm two for two. You are two for two. the two scenarios that have been presented to me. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Let's, uh, let's try question number three. Here we go. Yes, Dean. Great to be here. Uh, I had one. Oh, okay. There's a wall. Yes, wall. In between the family room and the living room. Okay. And you want to make it all one big open space. Mm -hmm. It is not a bearing wall. Okay. It is not a sheer wall. Okay. But there is a fireplace in the wall. Can you move it? Wow. There's a fireplace in the wall? There is. So it's shared by the two rooms, the fireplaces. Well... Maybe. Maybe. It's in the wall. There's a fireplace in the wall. I would say, yes, you can move that wall. Because you got to move the fireplace. Or you don't even have to move the fireplace. Can you move the fireplace? Can you move the fireplace? <laughs> the answer is, yes, you can move the fireplace. You are correct. Yeah! Sort of. Oh. At times, maybe not. Well, what would determine whether or not I can move the fireplace? What kind of fireplace is it? Brick. It's red brick. It's a <laughs> well. I don't care what it looks like. Oh, uh, on the outside. What I want to know is, and what you need to know is, is it an old style masonry fireplace, meaning that it actually is made of brick mm-hmm. all the way up to the chimney top, or does it just look like an old style fireplace, but is in actuality a newer prefabricated fireplace? You know the difference? Well, the prefab would be an insert, basically, that you put into some thing to make it look like an old one. Is that right? right? Is Your house, for instance, yeah. has no masonry fireplaces. Correct. 
They are all prefabric- uh, prefabricated fireplaces. Well, you make it sound like I have multiple. I only have one. Okay, well, <laughs> you have they. It is all. I appreciate it that. is all. It is all one one prefabricated <laughs> fireplace. So a lot of people don't realize it's about their fireplace. They look over at fireplace and they're like, "Well, it's covered with brick all the way, floor to ceiling." It's, right. You know, it's a brick fireplace, um, and then only to find out that no, that's a brick veneer that's mounted on the wall. The fireplace itself is an appliance, and I want people to be more aware of the fact that if we were to open up that wall, what we would find is basically something kind of, you know, roughly the same size as an oversized, you know, like two, a washer and dryer sitting next to each other, not as heavy, not even close to being as heavy, and then with a double metal flue running off of it up, you know, snaking its way through the house until it gets to the outside. And not a brick to be seen. Not a brick in place. And so that fireplace can simply be, like any appliance, can be uh, removed from the wall, can be moved somewhere else, can be stored in the garage. You can, you can do a number, you can do just about anything you want with it. It can even be moved over a few feet, and then instead of maybe a straight chimney shot straight up, you uh, run the flue, you buy some new flue liner, uh, you know, uh, bend the flue at a 45, offset it. Lots of things you can do when it's not a masonry fireplace. If it is a masonry fireplace, then no, you can't move it. All right. You can tear it down. And just be... Just... And replace it with a prefabricated fireplace in a different position. And that is not that expensive to do. So I'll give myself a half a point for that. All right. Okay. Well, let's give you the, the, the ding and the buzzer. Oh, I don't know if Blake can do that. Is Blake... <laughs> Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> He's really good at that. <laughs> One more, very quick. Uh, you've built the house of your dreams, yes, Gary. I sure did. But just this year, you learned that your family has to move to another city. Okay. You are extremely attached to this house, <laughs> and you don't want to start over. <laughs> yes. Can you move it? Depends. What kind of uh, foundation am I on? Uh... Slab? Slab? No, I can't move it. Yes, you can. No, I disagree. Uh, <laughs> you disagree on got, what basis? In California, it's all bolted to the foundation. I got to go through and unbolt the whole the whole foundation, all the framing and everything? Yeah. Oh. But you're really attached to this house. Okay. That's... <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is, whether it's bolted to a foundation or sitting on a subfloor. Now, granted, if it was a raised foundation, it would be easier. Right. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is uh, there are companies that specialize in moving houses from one piece of property. Yeah, what you would do is you would then find your new piece of property. You would pour a new foundation to match exactly the one that you've got with new plumbing connections coming up through in just the right spot. And when that was ready to go, we would detach your house, jack it up, probably cut it into two or three pieces and uh, and move it, reattach it, set it down, boom. Happened in my my neighborhood when I was a kid. There was a empty lot across from us, kitty corner to us, and uh, there was a house that was moved and put on that spot. Right, the most fascinating thing I think I've ever seen. Every every uh, once in a while, you'll hear. I think there was one in the news a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some city somewhere has got this old historic house that yes, they're going to sell for a dollar or just give away. Yeah. They're as like, long as you move it, it's you, yours. You pay the cost of moving this uh, 120 year old house. It's yours. More on can I move it, and maybe you get to play uh, on this Sunday. Sun- yes, we are going to set it up, and so uh, our callers will uh, actually they'll get the music. Oh, that's fantastic! We'll let, and and I will be the one to figure out whether they are winners or not. Or nine not. nine to eleven on Sunday morning, right here on KFI. Dean hosts home. Uh, okay.
And hopefully they never have to hear that again. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Gary. All of what's trending next on Gary and Shannon. is off today. She'll be back a little bit later this week. Uh, getting ready for Valentine's Day, as we all are, I assume. Oh, I found something. You guys, did you guys remember You guys remember going down in Rio? Remember that song that we did for the Olympics in Rio with the poo water and the oh, sea? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Guys, I found it. I didn't know everybody was clamoring for it, but guys, I found it. So I'll have to play that for you before we get into our, uh, our poo watch story. Um, the president announced his infrastructure plan, $1.5 trillion. Talk more about that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, also, the New York Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against the Weinstein Company. At one thirty. Jason Nathanson is going to join us. We're going to talk about what is in this lawsuit that we haven't heard before. And you thought you heard it all about Weinstein, but uh, got some new nuggets in there that are going to make you wish that you hadn't eaten lunch today. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, the big scary story from a couple of hours ago was that Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, the president's daughter-in-law, had to be hospitalized today after she received a letter uh, containing white powder. New York City police later said that that powder was non-hazardous, but that's got to be a terrifying thing. The daughter-in-law, President Trump's daughter-in-law, Vanessa, opened the letter that was addressed to her husband just after 10 o'clock this morning, New York time, at their apartment in Manhattan, Not clear what this white powder was, but New York City police said they did test it and it found it uh, found that it was it was non-hazardous. She, Vanessa Trump, was taken to the hospital as a precaution, as well as a couple of other people who were exposed to the powder. But they didn't say who that was yet. They have five children, but it's not clear if they were home at the time of this. So police and Secret Service are investigating this. They are not commenting on anything, but the. just a terrifying scene. I don't think there's been a an actual white powder problem. People getting ricin or uh, anthrax in the mail for 17 years, but it's always been one of those uh, one of those fears that people have. Well, if you haven't seen this yet, the Portrait Gallery, which is part of the Smithsonian Institution, unveiled the official presidential likenesses of Barack and Michelle Obama. Um, it's there. One of them is good. The other one is, I don't get it. Kehinde Wiley did president Obama's portrait. Very brief description is it's Barack Obama sitting on a chair in front of a shrub or a hedge or a box hedge or a portocarpus, whatever you call those things. I don't know what it is, but Already, it looks like the Homer Simpson meme where he just all of a sudden backs up and disappears into the hedge and you don't see him. That's exactly what it looks like, although he's sitting down and Homer Simpson was standing up. The other one of Michelle Obama is uh, was painted by Amy Sherald. It doesn't look a thing like her. The Barack Obama picture looks exactly like him. The Amy Sherald uh, picture doesn't look anything like Michelle Obama. And there are a lot of people who have been critical of this. But, I mean, they're nice they're nice paintings. They just, one of them doesn't look like her. 
Uh, L.A. County is set to build its first new freeway in 25 years. This one has been trending. When the Century Freeway opened, the 105, officials said it would be the last great Southern California freeway. Well, officials say an $8 billion project north of the San Gabriel and San Bernardino Mountains would relieve anticipated traffic congestion and create a link between State Route 14 and the 15 going up towards Vegas. Try to reduce gridlock on the 210, the 10, the 60. Since the completion of the 105, Palmdale and Lancaster have exploded in size. So this freeway link, this 63-mile freeway link between Palmdale, Lancaster, and Victorville should be should be the best answer to what is right now the 138 going between say, those two. Does it say how long it's going to take? To be completed. 417 years is the estimate. <laughs> <laughs> they said it would, it, I think a 63-mile stretch of road could take 10 years to complete probably. But it doesn't say exactly how long they're going to give it. It's another one of those things where I don't know if infrastructure, big project infrastructure like this is going to continue without some sort of a, a fire under the butts of people. Maybe that's what this White House infrastructure plan does. We'll talk about it at the bottom of the hour. Disneyland has decided it's going to raise prices. Well, I should say Disneyland raised prices over the weekend, several months before they plan to unveil the, uh, I think it's Pixar Pier at California Adventure Park. Yeah, that'll be open this summer. The prices rose the highest if you're an annual pass holder, as much as 18%. A daily ticket went up 9%. Um, and I, I love that. Well, I don't love this. I don't love the fact that Disneyland keeps raising its prices. But I love that people complain and then they set attendance records that same year. Every time they they raise prices, they do it several months before a massive new something is unveiled. Whether it's a new ride, whether it's a new area, if they do this now, Pixar Pier opening in the summer. What do you think they're going to do before they open Star Wars Land? Next Except year. raise prices again. And then they're still going to set attendance records because people are going to fork over a bazillion dollars to I'm go. I'm totally going to because I'll go to Star Wars. Of course Wars you Land. will. And that's the thing is they know that there are people who are going to do that. So if you're complaining about it, don't go. I think you're missing out, but don't go. Uh, Darwin Day has been trending because of a guy in Africa who got what was coming to him. If you're an animal fan, this is where you uh, start waving that lion a flag that you have. A suspected poacher was approaching a pack of lions in the Kruger National Park in South Africa. Oh, I've been there. Have you been poaching lions? No, I have not, but I've seen the lions in Kruger National Park. Animals have been poached in increasing numbers over recent years, and finally they have begun fighting back. A loaded hunting rifle and a head were found a A human head (gasps) this suspected poacher was mauled to death and eaten by this pack of lions and they said they didn't leave anything just some scraps i think and a head and ate the rest of the body i thought it would have been fantastic had it turned out that one of the lions actually shot him before they ate him which may be why they got rid of the evidence they didn't want everyone to know that they now have opposable thumbs and have picked up the rifles and are starting to point in the other way. Go, Lions. Go, Lions. Okay. Um, I'll play for you the Going Down in Rio song, the first part of it, 
and then tell you why the hashtag poo watch is trending. Next, Gary and Shannon will continue. I need it, I need it, I need it, I need you, I need it, I need it, need it, need it, I need you, cause we can see this through, if it's just me and you, there ain't a thing to lose, there ain't a thing to prove, just give me all of you, I need that loving, only you can give. Gary and Shannon, uh, she's not sick. Shannon's not sick. She's just on vacation. She'll be back. Uh, this week, as a matter of fact, she'll be back. There is a uh, story out of uh, Chelmsford. Chelmsford. <clears throat> I can't say it. There was a London gang unit that went out and did some arresting, uh, something called Operation Raptor. They were doing some arresting. That's what they were doing. And they picked up a guy. They said a nominal they call him a nominal, low-level guy, but they fail to stop for police and possession uh, with intent to sell, supply Class A drugs, the charge against him. Um, they said that he then put the drugs in a hiding place, a special hiding place, a, per- a very personal hiding place, personal special hiding place. He keistered him, and he refused to remove them. They then did a daily update on this guy, the Chumford police. A daily update on this guy refusing to pass his objects. I'm going to read to you some of the daily updates from Operation Raptors hashtag Poo Watch. Male is still refusing to pass objects. Still doesn't believe police have this power to hold him until he produces. Male has been charged with possession with intent to supply Class A drugs and on way to court for a seven-day laydown application. <clears throat> Day four. Male has been in police custody for the past 50 hours and will remain until he passes said items. He has refused food for all this time and will not accept that he will not be released until he releases. Day five. Still no news. Another day passes without any movement. Get it? Day 10. Day 10 of Poo Watch has commenced. Male still refusing to go to the toilet. 10 days. Yeah, you got to be in, have some type of abdominal pain at that point. 10 days. They said he's been refusing food, so he doesn't push anything through. Right, that helps. Okay. Still. <laughs> day 13. Another 24 hours has passed, taking us past 13 full days in custody. Back to court Friday to request a third eight-day extension if it's required. Also, a new record for the West team passing last year's 12 days. Who's keeping track of these records? However, still some quite some time to pass. Day 17, no comment. Day 18, no change. Day 19. Today is day 19 and we still have no movement. Male doesn't seem to understand that eventually he will need to slash have to go. Day number 22. Day 22 and male has still not used the toilet. Hashtag Operation Raptor. Um, day 25 and 26, they have said radio silence. They said that they're going to wait until this guy actually does this action 
before they put out any more statements because all they're doing at this point is encouraging him uh, to hold it in. Now, oh, gosh darn it, we ran out of time. I was going to do a quick gas go-round and see how long you have been able to keister drugs, but we ran out of time, so we can't do it. <laughs> if Shannon was here, you'd just hear, nope. Yep. Not doing that one. <laughs> nope. Uh, Rio. Remember Rio, the Olympics? There was poo in the water everywhere. Oh, yeah. And people were getting Zika. Yes. And yeah. that song that we played as a result of the Zika and the poo. Olympic athletes at their best at their peak. They get bit, then they come in home with Zika. And they know that the water's full of poo. They close their mouth if they see the doo-doo. It's going down in Rio. Some of us need better day jobs. I couldn't think. I, Pyeongchang doesn't rhyme with anything, or else I would have it's done a song for that. The bike loop play and they play for the bronze, silver, gold. Spinning this South American country, B O B E R T Y. I love the beaches, South beaches, naked bodies, and high crime. I could just throw up. I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> you like say so. All right, Gary Shannon will continue. We'll do Swamp Watch next, all about that infrastructure program that the president un- uh, unveiled today. That's coming up next. Drain the swamp. We're gonna drain the swamp of Washington. We're gonna have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Gary and Shannon on this Monday. Before we get into what's going on in D.C., I'll tell you that at 1.30, Jason Nathanson's going to join us. We're going to be talking about the New York Attorney General filing that lawsuit against the Weinstein Company, thing that they knew for a very long time that this guy was a monster, uh, including some new details about the teams of women, mostly women, in his offices that had to help facilitate his victimization of these other women. Also, uh, not exactly Washington, D.C., but definitely a connection. Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, the president's daughter-in-law, had to be taken to a hospital today in Manhattan. She had opened an envelope in their apartment, and a bunch of white powder came out. The New York Police Department has since tested that powder and said that it wasn't hazardous. They don't know exactly what it was yet, but they do know it wasn't hazardous. She still went to the hospital. Uh, and his last report is still there just as a, as a precaution, just in case. And then one of the things that we were watching and we included, uh, we tweeted out the link to this, the Big Bear Bald Eagle Cam. Amy mentioned that there was a second one, a second baby eagle that came out. Yeah, yeah I was uh, looking at it because I've had it up and uh, there it was. So he's still kind of getting out and then uh, mom or dad, whoever it is, is now sitting on them so you can't see them. But yeah, uh, the second one is hatched. Uh, just to give you an idea, this is... First of all, the babies can't regulate their own body temperature, which is why the mom or dad is sitting on top of them. Listen to how cold this sounds. This isn't that's stupid, but listen to how cold this sounds. Top of a tree, big bear, roll the tape. Sounds like the slope style mountain in North or South Korea. Well, it's 35 degrees at Big Bear Lake ah! right now. Plus, you add that wind in, and they're 100 feet up uh, or so. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing them babies got a big fat eagle sitting on top of them. All right, let's talk about what's going on in D.C. The administration is proposing to spend uh, about $200 billion to spur a $1.5 trillion infrastructure program. 
The president unveiled it today. Uh, he says that they're going to spend this $200 billion in federal funds and then try to get other uh, municipalities, states, governments, whatever it is, to come through and come up with the other money. So the, the federal government is going to use all of the, the seed money, so to speak. To me, this is a very, very sexy subject. The media doesn't... First of all, that it's, infrastructure is not sexy. Not sexy. To me, this is a very, very sexy subject. The media doesn't find it sexy. Nobody finds building a bridge... <laughs> Just talking about you, Gary. Sexy. <laughs> I find it sexy. Okay. Because I was always a builder. I always knew how to build on time, on budget, and that's what we want here. Okay, so here's what is in this money, uh, the $200 billion of federal money that would be spent. $100 billion of it would be for grants to spur other funds from states and the private sector. And so that that money would be aimed at projects like airports, uh, passenger rail, water facilities, both drinking water and storage water, uh, and Superfund sites. That $50 billion of it would be for capital investments in rural infrastructure projects. Uh, $20 billion for what they called Transformative Projects Program. Uh, something that the projects that have unique technical characteristics that otherwise deter private sector investment. A ten billion, they say, for a revolving fund, they would go to, to go towards purchasing federal property. Twenty billion dollars split between expanding existing credit programs and private activity bonds. Um, the analysts, though, at uh, Height Securities, put the odds of Congress passing an infrastructure bill this year at fifteen percent. Because infrastructure policy would require sixty votes in the Senate, because Republicans right now only have fifty-one seats. This group says it's highly skeptical the administration's plan can garner the necessary support to become law. One of the other issues is there are several economists who say this is not really the right time to do a big infrastructure program because the unemployment rate is already as low as it's been almost in history. Wages and interest rates are going up. Congress just pushed this massive stimulus into the economy with a trillion-dollar tax cut, trillion-and-a-half-dollar tax cut, and $300 billion in new spending that we had in the plan that was just passed for the budget last week. Usually a big infrastructure initiative like this comes when we're struggling, when unemployment is high. And the concern is that with this trillion-and-a-half-dollar plan that was announced today – any of these new projects, whether it's road building or airport construction, whatever it is, would just move workers away from their current projects and into different ones rather than giving people jobs that don't have them, creating these new jobs. And we've already seen that the Fed Reserve is interested in hiking these interest rates. It, if this passes, it could just move things faster. The Fed Reserve would move things faster because – Infrastructure spending, tax cuts, federal spending of any kind could lead to faster inflation. And the reason that the Fed Reserve would want to bump up the interest rate is to tamp down inflation. It's just it's a, a weird balance that they have to try to play. But a lot of economists are saying that now is not the right time for, a in, for an infrastructure program that is this size. So we'll keep that in mind. Again, this is just a proposal. This is just the... I think it's a 55-page infrastructure plan that the White House put out today. But as uh, as the president said, it's uh, sexy. To me, this is a very, very sexy, sexy subject. Sexy the media subject. doesn't find it sexy. No. I find it sexy. Okay. Um, he may be the only one who finds it sexy. When we come back. Lana Zak is going to join us.
the Senate looks like it's going to start some work on an immigration bill, but it's not going to be as simple as anyone thinks it is. We'll talk about that when we come back to Swamp Watch here on Gary and Shannon. Dow is up almost 400 points right now. And this volatility that we've seen for this last, uh, this is the seventh day of trading now. We'll talk with Rebecca Jarvis in just a few minutes more about whether or not the worst is over. We're going to see things settle down for a few minutes maybe on Wall Street. Um, We're talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. And a somewhat unusual move. The Senate is going to start this process of a wide open debate on immigration, of just basically a free-for-all on the, the Senate floor. Uh, Lana Zak is joining us to talk more about what's going on with this immigration plan. This was a promise Mitch McConnell made uh, if a couple of weeks ago they would get a continuing resolution to end the shutdown, right? That's exactly right. And it is incredible how much that bipartisan spirit of cooperation, at least rhetorically, continues to permeate here uh, in the Senate. Uh, McConnell and um, and Schumer today, the majority leader and minority leader, um, at a joint appearance in, at the McConnell Center um, in McConnell's native ten- native Kentucky, um, were actually praising one another, talking about how optimistic they were about a bipartisan immigration reform, that they know it's going to be tough, but that um, that uh, the majority leader is being true to his word and is letting uh, the Senate sort of just play it all out and whoever gets to 60 votes first wins and on no restrictions right now on amendments or on debate time with the exception of everybody knowing that march 5th is really the deadline for the dreamers uh if this is a wide-ranging debate like this but there is still that timeline of march 5th is this can we expect a big comprehensive immigration reform or just more of a targeted um fix to the daca problem well, some senators are saying that we really, uh, with that deadline, they are going to uh, to focus on DACA, and and that's the thing that they need to to see happen first. Because some of those other questions about chain migration, about uh, changing the the family members uh, that you can sponsor. Um, that's all something that is is more difficult to get the two sides on the same page about. But we have heard from the White House that they really feel like President Trump has outlined four pillars and that uh, in order to have an agreement that meets their needs um, on DACA, they would also need to deal with those other three pillars. So uh, it's hard to say right now what's going to end up happening in the Senate. And that's part of the design of what McConnell and Schumer have created here, that, that they just want want to let the Senate be the Senate, and whatever is the most reasonable thing that gets to 60 votes, that's what they're going to send on to the House and to the president. Yeah, Mitch McConnell made it sound like a boat race today. Whoever gets to 60 votes wins. But he also said it will be an opportunity for 1,000 flowers to bloom. Mitch McConnell with the poetry today. (laughs) 
I don't know if I'd call it that, but I, yeah, I mean, I think DC is still a month or two away from uh, from the cherry blossoms, perhaps. We're, yeah, we're just, actually it's a beautiful warm day here. Probably not as as warm as you all are enjoying in Los Angeles, but uh, but not too bad. And and perhaps everything just feels a little bit sunshinier because uh, at least in the Senate, Democrats and Republicans are just being so nice to each other. Even President Trump today weighed in saying he felt optimistic about DACA today, uh, provided of course that the Democrats uh, are sincere, but. This is this is a different day in Washington. I'm not sure what to make of all of it. Did Nancy Pelosi see her shadow today? You know, I'm not sure uh, that we we've been tracking that, but now I'm going to have to start looking into yeah, it. I guess I think so. Um, the other issue is that this is a Senate version. Has the House been working on anything while we're talking about immigration reform? Yeah, there there is uh, there is one um, Senate proposal that was adopted from a House proposal that really only focuses on DACA. Uh, that that's likely to um, to get uh, to get some play here in the Senate. But again, there the House is always so different in in its tenor and what it's willing to accept. Um, there are there's almost certainly going to have to be a lot of negotiation between the House and the Senate version of the bill. But but there is existing legislation if they were to focus exclusively on DACA instead of more comprehensive immigration reform that exists in both chambers. Awesome. Thank you, Lana. Thank you. Lana Zach there with the latest from D.C. about what's going on. The Senate, again, is going to uh, kick off debate on immigration later today. It's going to be a wide open debate which means they could put an unlimited number of amendments up. So uh, it could take some time. We'll see what they end up with. Uh, The other story out of D.C. that was uh, floating around on Friday, the White House said it was not going to release the Democratic version of a memo that counters the claims of a Republican memo that alleged bias within the FBI and the Justice Department. The president, now the White House is saying today, they are looking forward to releasing the Democratic version of the memo. And Mark Short, who was a legislative affairs director for the president, said, I think the reality is the White House will look forward to releasing that memo. But he said that Democrats intentionally put sources and methods in the document knowing that the White House wouldn't be able to release it, that they intentionally poisoned the waterhole so that the White House looks bad when they don't release it, when in fact the FBI had suggested that some of that stuff needs to be redacted. If you'll remember, though, the FBI also objected to the Republican version of the memo being released right away. So it's technically back into the hands of the House Intelligence Committee and the Democrats on that committee to come up with a version that they would be able to release. Uh, The Republican memo uh, said that the FBI obtained a warrant, a FISA warrant, to watch Carter Page by relying on the Christopher Steele dossier. And said, at least using testimony of Andrew McCabe, that in fact there wouldn't be a warrant if it weren't for the dossier. Now, that's not to say it was the only evidence, but it does say that it was important evidence. Democrats have said that that misinterprets what he actually told the committee about the importance of that dossier going forward with that FISA warrant. So all of this still playing off in the playing out in the background of what's going on in the White House. So when we come back. The Dow Jones Industrial Average now up more than 400 points. Looks like it's going to close in very positive territory today. Are we done with all of this volatility? Can we start to calm down a little bit when it comes to the markets? That and some other Market Monday news with Rebecca Jarvis when we come back to Gary and Shannon. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Everybody. 
Gary and Shannon, it's Monday, it's February 12th. We get to welcome in our friend, Rebecca Jarvis. Rebecca. Gary. What in the world? Now, last week we were going to talk to you. We had to pull the plug on this because you uh, were uh, brilliantly analyzing what in the world happened in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was down 1,100 points on Monday and then up 600 and then down like 19 and then up 400 and then down 700. And now it's up 400. Yeah, best two days since I think 2015 right now, um, if, if my records are correct at this point. So, yeah, what's going on, Gary? How have you been explaining this, Gary? I go like this. You know that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm I'm doing that with my voice. I'm not actually changing any investments that I have. How's that? Okay, okay, good, good. Um, look, there are a couple of things that have been going on. First of all, the underlying economy. What really really set this off initially is that uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, we got a jobs report that showed wages rising at their fastest pace in eight years. Now we've seen 88 straight months of job gains in the U.S. economy, and that made a handful of people worried about what the Fed's next move is going to be. We already know that the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates. Um, Fed Chair, outgoing Fed Chair Janet Yellen was on the page of slow and steady interest rate hikes. The new Fed Chair, Jay Powell, coming in appeared to be on the same page as Janet Yellen. But there's some question about whether or not is that going to be true? Is that not going to be true? No one knows. No one is speculating just yet. But with the market, the, the overall jobs market improving, with the overall economy improving, there's a feeling that maybe interest rates are going to start to climb a little bit faster than we expected. And that is the, the biggest thing that set off the, the selling. At the same time, we have also been in this period, and Gary, we talk about this pretty much every week because there are new records being set, or there had been new records in the market being set almost every week when we were speaking. There's also been this feeling, and we've talked about this, is it too far too fast? Does the underlying uh, corporate picture, does the underlying economy really justify how quickly the market has climbed? And even in the midst of all of the, the most recent days of chaos and volatility, volatility, you still look back on some of the worst days in the market over the last year would still be up 12%, 20% over the last year. The bottom line here is that initial concern about interest rates set off some selling. It's now now you have a number of, of different people looking at the market coming to potentially different conclusions about whether or not where where the market is is truly justified. And frankly that means that there probably will be some volatility in the coming days. The the longer term question is how how do we answer this this overall question of where would be the appropriate level for the stock market to truly reflect the real underlying economy right now. And as of now, we're not hearing the R word. We're not hearing recession. As of now, the jobs market looks strong. Manufacturing has been growing. The housing market has been relatively strong. So no one is looking at this. I know when people see these kinds of these wild swings, they think back to the Great Recession and the financial crisis. No one is looking at this at this moment in time as that because those underlying fundamentals still appear to be on solid footing. Um, when 
when this happened in 2008, when we saw the markets crash, a lot yeah. of blame was laid at the feet. Well, I don't know if that's the right word of the rubber pads of the computers that do a lot of our trading. Yes. Have they, I'm glad you brought that up. Have they played into this at all, this volatility? So there's there's no definitive number on what percent of trading volume comes from those algorithms and those computerized trading systems, but it's a very large percentage. And the way I would describe it is tripwires. And what happens on these most volatile days is that you have literally billions of dollars in in wealth programmed into these trading programs. And every time one of those tripwires gets hit, it's like all across Wall Street, those tripwires are very similar. So as soon as that momentum begins to the downside or to the upside, those tripwires start they, they start happening across uh, across the board, and that triggers what becomes a much bigger sell-off than if if there were not if there were people uh, doing the majority of trades, looking at it saying, you know what, fundamentally, nothing has changed here. Fundamentally, we're in a very similar spot to where we were one week ago. Is it weird that the markets might look forward to a holiday? They're not open on Monday, are they? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'm looking forward to a day where I don't have to hold my breath all day long. Yeah. Uh, right now, it looks like, I think we've, we said the Dow looks like it closed up 410 points. So that's 1.7% yep. for the day. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's one other thing, just a small point. These these big, big points, either climbs or declines, mean less today than they meant during the financial crisis because the, we've come as far as we've come. So 400 points is 1.7% today, up 1.7%. 400 points back then would have been, you know, 3 5% in a given day. Yeah. I shouldn't say 5. I should say 3. 3 would be accurate. <laughs> You don't want to scare people anymore, even though it yeah. was in the past. Uh, one more quick business stuff, and then we'll get into some lighthearted things on the other side of the break. I wanted to ask you about Amazon becoming the next huge delivery service. Um, yes. I know that they've used UPS, FedEx. They even use the post office, uh, the U.S. Postal Service at yeah. points. But anytime Amazon touches something, it gets better or it, it has the opportunity to get better. Can they come up with their own delivery system? I think the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it will take billions of dollars and massive amounts of organization. And while I think it's very possible that they are moving in that direction, the time that it would take to truly be on the same footing as a FedEx or a UPS or the U.S. Postal Service, it's going to take a much longer span of time than sort of like what the initial reaction is. But given everybody thinks when they hear Amazon is getting into a new field, everyone can't help but think about Amazon initially getting into books. And because of that, because of what happened when Amazon got into books, people get very nervous. The competitors get nervous. I would say for consumers, at least at this moment, the good news is that now, because we have that history, because we know what happens when Amazon gets into a new industry, things generally, at least in the near term, get better for customers because everybody tries to compete and they try to, to, to rival what Amazon is doing. And that usually, at least in the near term, again, means better pricing for customers, uh, more uh, more opportunity for customers. But certainly this is a space that you can see why they would like to get into it. It gives them more control. Ultimately, it will cost them a lot of money up front, but in the long run, it could mean serious savings for them. The, the amount of stuff that they have to have, I saw that Amazon 
already Amazon, not in the delivery business, has leased up to 40 planes and has about 300 warehouses in the United States. Yeah. Compare that to FedEx, which has 650 airplanes and 4,800 operating facilities around the globe. That's, I mean, just the size and scope of it, I think, is is even lost. We say billions, but it would be hundreds of billions, it seems like. Exactly. I'm glad you said that. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And to that point, Amazon does deal with UPS and FedEx. It's about a 3 to 6% portion of their business. So not insignificant, but not the entire business either. All right. We'll talk Olympics. We'll talk Valentine's Day. And of course, your podcast coming back. Okay. Awesome. In the break, go check out our tw- uh, Twitter feed at Gary and Shannon. You'll find the link to the latest uh, baby eagle cam up in Big I Bear. Can't wait. Okay. We're talking to Rebecca Jarvis, uh, the ABC News chief for business, technology, and the economy. We'll come back with Rebecca in just a second. Gary and Shannon. Talking to Rebecca Jarvis. Uh, Rebecca, I failed to give you a graphic nature warning when I told you to go check out that Big Bear Bald Eagle camp. There's looks like chunks of um, of other birds uh, laying about the nest. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome when you look at it, but um, but there are two baby eagles under baby eaglets, I guess, underneath the big eagle that's uh, sitting on top of them. So. Well, I've already tweeted it without even looking at it. So. <laughs> Just be forewarned. Do not eat. I guess it's past lunch in, in New York, so you're probably fine. Um, let's talk about the Olympics. You a big fan? You know, I enjoy the Olympics, but I, to be entirely honest, I have not watched a single Olympic sport at this point. I know it's terrible. Um, I've just been, I've been busy with a handful of other things. Are you a big fan, Gary? Uh, I do. I love it. I love either the, the summer, the summer Olympics. I want to watch the least, um, yes. televised sport. So sometimes that's like canyoning or something like that. And I obviously love curling and skeleton and curling, luge. and I love that. Have you actually done curling in real life before? No, but you know what's weird? So we're in Southern California. Every time I mention curling, we get emails from, from curling groups and clubs who say that they are more than willing to host us for a day to curl. <laughs> That's, you should take them up on that. I did curling. I would say I was in third grade. One of my friends for her birthday party had a curling birthday party, and uh, it was pretty fun. That's what you do in Minnesota for your third birthday. Third graders. All right. It, to me, it seems like bowling. Like, if they're going to serve beer, then yes, I'll go curling. But I mean, <laughs> We didn't have that when I was in third uh, grade. Well, you got to go to the different schools. Um, but do they, <laughs> they don't get paid, do they, Olympians? Well, so this is the thing. And I've actually, one thing I have done is talk to a number of former Olympians about the process because, no, they don't get paid. And, in fact, a number of them actually go broke on the way to the Olympics. I've talked to Olympians who barely had a penny in their pocket on the day that they got to the Olympics. Some of them are even, you know, medalists who basically won the bronze or the silver or even the gold medal and had nothing left to spare because it's so expensive just to get there. The amount of training that it takes costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and there's a very limited amount of money that you get paid if you win for for gold silver and bronze you earn thirty seven thousand dollars twenty two thousand five hundred and fifteen thousand dollars respectively and the actual medals themselves 
aren't really even worth that much unless you want to sell them online. Obviously, some people are going to be interested in buying them for what they mean, but the actual physical value, if you were to melt it down, um, it says that the gold is worth $577. That's because it's gold gold on the outside. It's not fully um, gold all the way through. The, the solid, or rather the silver metals, would be worth about $320. That bronze metal, worth $3.50. <laughs> That's just great. So they should, just, they, great. they should sell those as souvenirs rather than hand them out. Exactly. Definitely. Then they could make some money. Um, well, But ultimately where people do make the money is on endorsements. And that's you get the endorsements if you are like the top rated star and you have a bunch of like celebrity appeal. It is not uh, – it's not something people should be doing if they're trying to get rich. No. But people like Chloe Kim I think is probably the standout right now. She's yes. young. She's pretty. She seems like she's having a blast out there. Yeah. She, uh, Sean White, obviously, has been around for a long time, and also right. Lindsey Vaughn. They're making millions. Of course. on the And it's all on the endorsements, and it's all on the businesses that want to pay to be in their zone and, and be, uh, you know, represented by the Olympians. But, yes, I one thing I will say is what I really, really respect about Olympians is the amount of work and time and energy and the amount that you have to – just go on faith and start so young. Like Allie Raisman, who was on the podcast, we talked about how, you know, she as an eight-year-old wasn't going on family vacations. And she had to, as an eight-year-old, basically be cool with that. Hmm. Knowing that, if well, and I guess not even knowing, but hoping that someday she'd get a gold medal. There's absolutely no guarantee yeah. uh, that you're going to get that gold medal or even be able to compete in the Olympics. And you really do, for most of these Olympians, you really do have to start your sport when you're a kid before you know if you're even going to like have the propensity to be really good at what you do. Uh, I need an honest answer from you here. Uh-oh. The average that people spend on Valentine's Day, yes. average, is yes. $143.56. Are you yes. over or under that? Um, I love my husband. I have not spent a penny at this point this year. Wow. Perhaps. I think you just said two very different things. No, no. It's not about the money, folks. It's not about the money. What I will say is there's this whole article about how much money you should spend on your Valentine. And I, I respect and I would appreciate this, and I also think that my husband appreciates it. It's all about the experiences. So even, first of all, and, and what's important there is if you don't have $143, um, you can create experiences that do not cost that much money. Um, also, remember that experiencing something together, what is the holiday about in the first place? It's about love, not about having a, you know, diamond or piece of jewelry sitting somewhere or even eating chocolate although i'm cool with eating chocolate hmm. i hope my wife, my wife is listening i i will probably spend under that only because i know the specific plans that we have are not that expensive but it's an experience type thing it i am all about the experience i genuinely believe very very strongly in the experience and i think if you enjoy the experience together that's a sign that you're in the right partnership i agree. look at that Making love connections. Uh, the No Limits podcast, I love Hannah Storm, and I cannot wait to hear this one. I'm so excited. And and you understand the root of her name, which, by the way, relates to your job, Gary. Uh-oh. That's that's a hint for, for how she got named Hannah Storm. Because she's uh, strapping handsome? <laughs> 
was originally not dairy. Let's just put no. uh, it, it, it the, the hint relates to her first job and how she changed her name because of that first job. She was a weather person? She worked on the radio? Ding, ding, Talk. ding. Oh, okay. I knew it. So it's so basically it, the whole thing relates to the the type of radio station that she started her career at, and she decided that her name wasn't particularly right for the style of radio station that she started at. So she changed her name. And by the way, it's not because it was a weather station. So that would be be too easy. Too easy. Uh, Have a great Valentine's Day. We'll talk to you next week or maybe the week after since you have the day off. Oh, yeah, there's that. Uh, All right. Thank Thank you. Rebecca Jarvis there. And again, you can follow Rebecca at Rebecca Jarvis on Twitter. You can find her on Facebook and uh, watch the video that she does while she's with us all the time. And, of course, the No Limits podcast. We'll throw up a link so that you can check out her conversation with Hannah Storm from ESPN. All right, coming back. It looks like the New York Attorney General has new information about Harvey Weinstein, and some of it is just as disgusting, if not more disgusting, than the other stuff we've already known about him. So we'll talk about that with Jason Nathanson when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Monday, it's February 12th. Some of the uh, things that we've talked about today and that you'll continue to hear right here on KFI, the White House has released the infrastructure plan. It's about a trillion and a half dollar plan, but it looks like only about 200 billion of it, pocket change, comes from the federal government. The plan is to sort of use that as seed money for a lot of other projects for states and uh, city and county governments to come forward with some of the other money, put it all together. We talked also about the Winter Olympics being too wintry. Several of the events actually had to be uh, either postponed or canceled, specifically the skiing events. The uh, Alpine skiing uh, hill, I guess, was uh, subjected to severe winds, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds. And there was also a weird scare where the the president's daughter-in-law, Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, had to be taken to the hospital. She opened an envelope addressed to Donald Trump Jr. at their apartment in Manhattan, and a bunch of white powder came out. And she and a couple other people were taken to the hospital to be treated, but the NYPD says there was nothing to worry about. Whatever the powder was that was in it was not hazardous, but they have not yet said exactly what it was. Well, one other story that we talked about was this lawsuit that was filed last night by New York's Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Complaint filed in New York County Supreme Court. It uh, has some new stunning violations of the Weinstein Company against the New York human rights, civil rights, and business laws. Uh, Jason Nathanson has joined us to uh, help slog through some of this nastiness. What's going on, Jay Nat? Yeah, well, just when you thought the Weinstein stuff couldn't get creepier yeah. and dirtier comes all these allegations now in this uh, lawsuit. That seems the the point of the lawsuit was to stop the sale of the Weinstein Company, which seems it did today. Uh, the group that was looking at buying it that were in talks for, uh, those talks have broken down. So uh, the company won't be sold anymore. And we've learned, that, I mean, we knew that Weinstein was using his people to get him women. Um, 
but this basically says that he had executive assistants who were physically arranging his sexual encounters and directing them um, that he, to go after women. And if those women that he was going after didn't want to sleep with him, that these employees had to essentially badger women who refused or expressed reluctance. Yeah. One of the things about that, with these teams that were set up to help him uh, with these sexual conquests, was a group of, I don't know if what the term would be, fixers, where they would come along and after he would promise them jobs of some kind, the, this team of people had to come forward and figure out where that job was going to come from, whether they were going to be cast in a movie, they were going to get some sort of production uh, job somewhere. They were the ones who had to come up and, and basically fulfill the promises that he made. And one of the craziest things about this, it seems there were so many people involved. So you would wonder how this was kept quiet for years or how it was kept secret or, or why nobody did anything. Um, and we get they get into that a little more when it comes to the HR complaints, because apparently there were volumes of HR complaints. People went and, and said, hey, this is wrong. I feel uncomfortable. What he's making me do, blah, blah, blah. And in most cases, well, in all cases, first of all, there were no investigations. Nobody did anything about it. And in most of the cases, those complaints would be then sent directly to Harvey Weinstein, who would then fire those people or punish them in some way. So it was this weird loop of things, you know, and so many people were involved. And that's one of the things that why the New York, uh, the, the attorney general wanted to stop the sale, because Eric Schneiderman said that you're basically, this, this uh, bid was going to basically take the company whole and make a new company with it, uh, the 150 employees, and most of them would transfer over. He said that that group is so toxic, and you have some of the executives who are just in place who were doing the same thing then. He didn't want that. He basically wanted to blow up the company so it wouldn't exist anymore. Which is weird because part of the deal I know that they were working on would include a $50 million bank account, basically, a fund to help pay out all of the pending cases against uh, and allegations against Weinstein. That's what the group who was going to be doing the purchasing said, but Schneiderman said in his report that he found no evidence of that. Oh. Maybe it was going to happen. Maybe it was included. It was going to be, I think, something like $250 million for the sale of the company and then another $225 million in existing debt. And maybe somewhere in there, there would have been $50 million, or maybe Schneiderman just never saw because a lot of the terms were supposed to be confidential. But Schneiderman said, I, I didn't see it. There, there was no evidence that there would have been this $50 million fund for the victims. Uh, so that's another red flag. Just I'm amazed that, you know, this all broke back in October, the Harvey Weinstein portion of this. I mean, this is obviously not the, the Bill O'Reilly or Bill Cosby or any of those guys before this. But when Harvey Weinstein's story came out, the stories about him continued to pile on. And it seemed like we were getting three, four, five accusers a week against this guy. And I I felt like, OK, We've run the gamut of the uh, uh, atrocious things this guy was accused of, and then we get even more of them in this filing from late last night. Yeah, and, and just more of the people who who helped them or were forced to help them. Like I, you know, I don't know at, at this point if these people are are victims or they're enablers or what. But you know, we hear about the drivers who had to have not only condoms on hand at all times, but injectable erectile dysfunction medication for Weinstein. And at one point, apparently, one of them got a bonus for getting the medication, and this guy was also directed to inject Weinstein. I don't know where. I don't, uh, I don't know what, where that injectable goes, but uh, uh, th that's something that this, this person had to do as part of their job.
wouldn't you at some point begin to question whether that was the right job for you? Well, sure. So, so then what do you do? Do you, you know, you go home and you complain to your wife or your husband or significant other or whatever, uh, as a lot of people do about their jobs. Do you go to HR, as many people apparently did, and there was no help for them there? They thought they were doing the right thing. Uh, or do you just leave the, the company? Now, at some point also, uh, we're told in this new lawsuit that Weinstein is accused of telling several employees, I will kill you. I will kill your family. You don't know what I can do. So when you're faced with that, and the guy's saying that he's bragging about secret service, secret service contacts that can take care of problems, you go, okay, well, maybe I just stay here and, and take it? Like, I don't know what to do. And uh, what, does, uh, what does Weinstein's lawyer say about this? Weinstein's lawyer says, of course, uh, that uh, though Weinstein's behavior is not without fault, there was certainly no criminality, which is something that they've held to for a while now. Um, and they're also quick to point out in this response, Harvey Weinstein promoted more women to key executive positions than any other industry leader. Wow. So well, he may be a scumbag on one hand, uh, he was good for the women on, the, on another hand. He's conducted more interviews with young female actresses than any other movie producer in history. That is true. Okay, great. That is true. In uh, hotel rooms. <laughs> Jason, thank you. Take care. Jason Nathanson there with the latest on this uh, this lawsuit. Again, it was filed by New York's Attorney General late last night. Uh, and Ben Braffman, Weinstein's attorney, was the one who said that many of the allegations against his client are without merit. Not all of them, but many of them. When we come back, uh, O.J. and Johnny Manziel on the road to comeback. What? Gary and Shannon will continue. Monday. Shannon's out today. She'll be back later this week. She's taking a quick vacation. That's all. She doesn't have the flu or anything. Uh, I don't think. On Friday, she didn't have the flu. Uh, So it turns out that a couple of life's losers are back in the news. Unfortunately, O.J. Simpson has uh, apparently been paid to appear in Sasha Baron Cohen's next movie. There are sources that have been working in Vegas who say that Sasha Baron Cohen was wearing a curly dark wig and black thick-rimmed glasses when he met O.J. Simpson in a Las Vegas hotel room. But a source told uh, the Daily Mail that O.J. wouldn't even get into the hotel room until he was paid a sack load of cash. There's no way that Sasha would have gotten O.J. into that room without paying money. When somebody caught up to O.J., while he's sitting around on his fat butt doing nothing, eating lunch with a bunch of losers. He admitted that he knows Sasha Baron Cohen. He says, I know him well. I met him. Nice guy. And when the reporter asked him, so is it true that you were paid 20 grand to go into this hotel room with him? He didn't say. And Sasha Baron Cohen hasn't commented on all of this. He is notoriously secret when it comes to uh, the projects that he's working on. You can imagine that the Goldman family is pretty pissed off, as is the Brown family. And I don't know why Sasha Baron Cohen would have included this guy except to make fun of him. But I don't I I don't know why OJ would then allow that if he's getting paid 
even if he's getting paid, why that would be a thing. Uh, Johnny Manziel is also back in the news. Johnny Manziel, the one-time possible NFL quarterback, says that he hopes to go back. He hopes to return following what he called a huge downfall. And it was an interesting interview he gave to ABC News about what sort of demons he has been handling over the last several years. Going back throughout the last couple years of my life, I was self-medicating with alcohol. Like, that's what I thought was making me happy and helped me get out of that depression to a point of where I felt like I had some sense of happiness. But at the end of the day, you're left staring at the ceiling by yourself and you're back in that, that depression and back in that hole, that dark hole of sitting in a room by yourself, being super depressed, thinking about all the mistakes you've made in your life. What did that get me? Where did that get me except out of the NFL? Uh, he has said that he was bi- uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder about a year ago which is amazing that they waited that long to give him this diagnosis. I mean, it seemed like there was evidence of some mental health issues long ago. I mean, back when he was playing football in college, there were issues of this. He uh, played with the uh, Cleveland Browns for a while and then was cut. But he says now his mental health is a priority in his life, should be the priority in his life. He says, I'm taking medication for for bipolar, I'm working to make sure that I don't fall back into any type of depression because I know there, where that leads me, and I know how slippery a slope that is for me. At the end of the day, I can't help that my wires are a little bit differently crossed than yours. He said, I cannot help my mental makeup or the way I was created. I don't know if this guy gets the, uh, gets the reception uh, that, that he, well, I don't know if he deserves a reception, a positive reception. He's got to kind of earn his way back because of everything that he threw away. Yes, yes, he was diagnosed bipolar. Yes, he suffered from depression. But those two things don't necessarily take away the ability to make the correct decisions in certain situations. Make it harder, probably, to make those decisions. He said that those that are closest to him, including his parents and his fiancée, would all agree that they would see a drastic change in his behavior. And he said, and this is a question I think everyone has to answer, including any prospective NFL team that wants to give him a job, is... Is that sustainable? Would that be the case moving forward? And Johnny Manziel admits, he says, I would like to sit here and say yes. And I have a lot of confidence that that would be the case. But at the end of the day, it's to be seen. I'm still moving forward. So I don't know. I kind of hope that guy does well. I I just don't know if he's going to get a positive reception from, from people in the NFL who do not want to get involved in politics. They do not want controversy. All right, John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Oh. oh. Gary and Shannon. He's giving it the big build up there, and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that.